You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We started a teaching series a couple weeks ago called First Things First. Um, And as we read scripture, as we unpack God's word, we see that, that God teaches us that there's principles, that there's priorities in life. Um, And we've been looking at that idea. The first week we talked about seek first the kingdom and how um, God's ways are always better than ours. Um, And and as we align our life with the priorities um, that God establishes, that there's freedom and there's blessing and there's provision in that. And so uh, we've been looking at that. And then this week, we're actually going to talk a little bit about relationships. Um, now, this text you're, that we're going to look at in Matthew 7, you're like, is that about relationships? But really it is, uh, because this, this issue deals with every relationship. Uh, your relationship with your spouse, relationship with your boss, relationship with your kids, relationship with your neighbor, relationship with the guy who's on 385 next to you. Um, this, this has to deal with, with our relationships and our interactions with one another. Um, and so I'll start with this truth as we begin to unpack this. Um, this, is, this is not revolutionary, but this is the truth that we're starting with today, is that we are designed to be relational, but every relationship has conflict, right? Every single relationship has conflict of what we are designed to be relational. That sounds like a punishment, right? It's like God put this desire in us to have relationships with other people, but at the same time, there's going to be conflict. Like, think about it. In the Garden of Eden, when God created everything, created Adam and Eve, he said, or created Adam, he said, it's, the one thing that's not good is for Adam to be alone. In the image of God in which we are created, there's a desire for us to be relational, to do life with other people. He's put that in us as I spit into the baptismal. Uh, No one's getting in after this. Uh, He's put that in us. He's designed us that way, right? he's, He's given us that. But every single relationship, though, has conflict. Why? Because you're in it. I'm in it. People are in it. And people are imperfect. So if you take imperfect people and put them in something, guess what? It's now messed up. So how do do we walk through relationships? How do we we manage those? And we're going to deal with the the thing that I believe is one of the the areas that that makes up the majority of all conflict in any relationship. Because before we even jump to that, there's two sides of this. You're like, hey, there's relationships, there's conflict. One side of the pendulum is like, hey, I'm just going to fly solo. I'm going to do my own thing. That way there's no conflict, right? I'm just going to like find a cave, find a hole somewhere. I'm going to do life. I'm going to put up walls around me when I go to work, keep everyone at an arm's distance. And I'm just going to do life my way so that there's no conflict. There's no opinions. There's none of that. On the other side, there's like, well, I'm just going to have community with everyone. Like that's, that's kind of the realm in which some extroverts live, right? You're friends with everybody. The guy who you, the Amazon delivery driver, like you guys are besties now. Right? Because everyone's a friend. Like there's this, there's no standards. There's no, not all extroverts are this way. You get what I'm saying. But there's the other side is that everyone is friend. Everyone is allowed to speak into my life. Everyone is community. But, but there's a healthy balance that has to be in there. C.S. Lewis um, was talking about this issue of conflict. And it boils down to this. He said, it's, it's not really because that somebody does something that doesn't please you. It's that there's a standard in which their actions don't line up with. Meaning that like most conflict is like, well, hey, they did this to me or that wasn't fair. I didn't deserve this. 
or they did this and I never did this to them. Like there, there's, a, there's an understanding that there is a moral law, that there's a, there's a, a behavior in which is acceptable and what the other person did does not match that standard, right? There's this, there's this thought about how I'm in a relationship, you expect something out of someone, and when they don't, not just your expectations, when they don't treat you the way that you want to be treated or you think you should be treated, there's, there's conflict, right? Like, it goes against this, this golden rule that, that Jesus teaches us about, that we do unto others as we always want others what? Do unto us, Right? And when that doesn't happen, there's, there's conflict. Uh, late 20th century uh, popular theologian Tupac said, um, only God can judge me, right? And, and the world loves that verse out of context. It's this idea that, hey, you know what? I get to determine and establish truth and reality for myself and no one else can judge me. That, that one has, has long left the station and been twisted and been taken in several different ways. But the reality is we should have judgment. We live in a world in which we appreciate and want judgment, right? Like if somebody walked up to you right after church and stole your wallet, you're like, hey, you can't do that. But hey, bro, don't judge me. You can't tell me what I can and cannot do. That, that'd be horrible. Right? Or if somebody breaks into your house and you find them in the middle of the night, you tell them to get out, be like, hey, bro, don't be judging me, okay? I'll blast all over Facebook about how judgmental you are for judging me for my behavior. Who are you to judge? Right? That, that's, that's nonsense, right? We, we live in a world that requires and we are grateful for judgment. We're grateful that there's right and wrong, that there's behaviors that are acceptable and ones that are not. So what does it mean? Right? Because no one, no one loves to be judged based on our lowest moments or on preconceived notions, right? Like no one, no one loves to be judged, right? Like um, if you ever return something to a store, sometimes they have somebody at the front of the store to like, hey, okay, you're returning something. But immediately when you walk in the store with, with things you've already purchased, you feel this like guilt of like, they're gonna think I'm shoplifting. Am I the only person? Okay, I am. Uh, or some of you. But like yesterday, we went to Walmart to go exchange something and no one's there. And I'm like, I have it in a bag. And I'm like, I'm wanting to parade it. Like, I'm not stealing this. Everyone knows that I'm not shoplifting. Like I'm walking into the store wanting to like just mutter under my Hey, I hope we can return this item that I purchased at a previous date. You know, like you don't want to be accused of shoplifting. We even had to do it because one of my kids, we showed up at Walmart and he had forgotten shoes. Like, what do you, what do you mean you forgot shoes? Like you don't have shoes on your feet. I said, well, it is Walmart. So, you know, um, we put him in a cart. We bought shoes on the clearance rack and, and he wore them on the way out. But I'm like, we're buying these shoes. We're not shoplifting because you don't want someone to come along and be like, what are you doing? Or you want someone to make an assessment of, of, of who you are, of your, of your nature, of your character based on their snapshot or their glimpse. So what do we have to do? One, as we open this up, as we unpack scripture, we always have to remember this. We need context. We, we can't just flip to a page, take a sentence and pull it off and, and apply it. But anytime we read scripture, we need context. We need to figure out who's talking, where are they? What's the setting? Who are they talking to? What's, what's going on around it? We've got to have some framework, some context as we, as we unpack this um, very misconstrued uh, passage that the world loves, right? So we need context too, is we also, a great thing to do is we have to um, compare scripture to scripture. 
Hey, is there other verses in scripture where it talks about this thing? And if we do, let's, let's not just take this one out of isolation and apply it however we want that fits our life or our lifestyle. We, we need to take it in its entirety, right? Um, and then most importantly, we have to actually do it. We, we, we can't just, oh, I, I know it. Like um, a, a pastor, Francis Chan, he said this once. I love this. It's a great way to communicate it. He's like, if I went to my kids and I said, hey, clean your room. And next week they came back to me and said, hey, dad, I memorized what you said. Clean your room. <laughs> Aren't you impressed? In fact, I'm actually gathering a group of my friends together and we're going to study the Greek words of clean your room and what it really means, the meaning behind it. And then we're going we're gonna to make some t-shirts. One of my friends thinking about getting it tattooed on the forearm. It's kind of cool. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about the idea, like what would the world look like if people clean their rooms? Aren't you proud of me? And he's like, no, clean your room. That's what I want you to do. Not just talk about it, but, but do it. Actually go and clean your room. And sometimes we can grow up in church and we can hear the word and memorize the word. And, and study the word and never do the word. Jesus said, blessed is the one who hears my words and then what? Puts them into practice. So we need context. We need to figure out what it's, what's going on in, the, in, the, in, this, in this situation, in the setting, and we've got to actually do it. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, but let me give us some context. Uh, before Matthew 7 is Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about hypocrites. He's talking about the hypocrisy of the religious elite. Um, in fact, three different times in Matthew 6, he calls out the hypocrisy. He, he calls them out in the beginning for the way that they give to the poor and give to the needy because they parade it in front of other people. Um, he, he talks about them being hypocrites in the way that they pray because they do it eloquently in front of a lot of other people just to be heard and noticed. And even the hypocrisy in the way that they fast because they, they clothe themselves disheveled and, and they want to be noticed. And then after what we're about to read, Jesus is actually talking about judging. He's like, hey, you, you should judge people. You should uh, distinguish the false teachers and false prophets. In fact, he even goes on to say, hey, you judge a tree by its fruit. In the same way, we get to judge a, a, a person by their actions. So Jesus isn't saying in this, hey, don't judge anyone or anything. Love everyone just as the way they are. There, there's no discernment. There's no wisdom in that. Just what people say is truth is truth. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying we actually should judge, but there's a heart behind it that we're going to unpack. Verse seven, or Matthew 7, verse 1. He says, do not judge others, and you will not, you will not be judged. And that's the period, that's where the world takes it. Verse two, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard in which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Here's our principle. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He doesn't say just totally ignore it. Like there is, a, there is a principle in here of walking alongside people, of sharpening one another. Now we're gonna talk about the application of that later on in a future series this year. 
But what I want us to get to is the heart behind this before we can even unpack on how to do it, right? How to, how to talk to your friend who's insane, like how to, how to correct one another, how to, how to do that in love and in grace and in humility. But there's four principles I want to pull out as we unpack this. It's very simple. First one is if we have to look in the mirror before the microscope. The root of what Jesus is addressing in this is not don't judge people. It's the root behind it, that we need to first, before we worry about the faults in sins of others, we have to first deal with us. He's saying that there can't be two standards. We can't hold other people to one standard, but then use a lower standard to evaluate ourselves. Because that's just being a hypocrite, right? The same standard in which we judge ourselves, we should judge other people. Um, we, we, we desperately need this in our life. Um, let's say, hypothetically, Last Sunday, there was a pastor on his way to church um, who was running behind and uh, may have been going a little bit faster than he should have on 385. And, um, okay, it's not hypothetical, it's me. And got pulled over. And uh, Ashley's in the car, my kid's in the car, and I'm just like, wow, this is a, this is a humble moment. Um, and so it comes up to the window, he's like, hey, where, uh, where are you headed to in such a hurry? And I was like, church. He's like, what time does church start? I said, well, she needs to be there in two minutes for, you know, rehearsal. Um, and I was like, do I pull out the pastor card? You know, I'd be like, uh, officer, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I've, got, I've got important things I need to do. Like, I, there's, there's people at church waiting. Like, I need to go preach and prepare. And, you know, there's souls at stake. But I was just like, no, I'm not going to be that guy, one. Because then he may give me a bigger ticket. Uh, but, uh. I was just like, this is fair. I, I broke a standard. And so there's, there's a punishment for that. And so we've got a nice coffee date set up at a future date at the courthouse um, that I get to go and, and pay some money. I'm not gonna tell you how fast it's between me and him and the Lord. Um, but, but it was just so evident. This, is like, this, is, this was just. And I talked to my kids about, hey, you know, there's rules for a reason. Hey, there's, there's standards for a reason. And when we go against those, there's consequences. Now, Sometimes we see somebody pulled over like, man, huh, you deserve that. When we get pulled over like, you don't understand. There's this, this, and this is going on. And I, I just, I had a bad morning. There was bad eggs. And I just, I'm just, I'm frazzled. And just, you start crying. Some of y'all can cry on instant and you can try to get out of a ticket. And some of y'all nudging your friends. Don't do it right now. Um, but why is it you want the standard applied to them, but not to you? Because we're hypocrites. Because there's always a reason why it doesn't apply in these circumstances or in the instant. Right? That's our own like sinful nature. That's our own like selfishness that we, we, we want to look in a microscope at other people before we look in the mirror at ourselves. But as followers of Christ, we have to first look at ourselves. We got to deal with our own dysfunction because the reality is, is that unchecked sin in our life distorts how we view other people. So how can we have blurry vision in trying to sharpen or love someone else or give, give adequate like judgment and wisdom if we don't even see ourselves clearly? So we have to look at our first deal with the log in our eye. Like, think of what ridiculous that is. He's like using this, this imagery of somebody with a log sticking out of their eye. He's like, hey, bro, you got a speck in your eye. God bless you because we're in the South, right? Bless his heart because you can say that before anything. no. Don't do that, please. 
But he's saying, how ridiculous is that you're dealing with, with, with the mass, something minuscule in someone else's life when you've got massive things that are going unchecked in your own. Second truth is that praise and criticism are windows to the heart. Praise and criticism are often windows into our own heart. Praise will often reveal um, what we value most. The things that we praise in other people. Like think about it, even from the perspective of, as, a, as a dad, like we, we, things that we value, like we, we value hard work. When our kids work hard, we praise that because we value it. They, they take an interest into a hobby that we have. We, we praise that because we, we value it. Like for those show of hands, who used to work in a restaurant before at any point in your life? Okay, I think all people need to work in a restaurant at least for like a couple months in their life. It will teach you a whole lot. Um, but for those that used to be a server, when you go out to eat, like you're bussing the table for them. Like you're stacking plates, you're scraping them. You're like, hey, just throw me the rag. I'll wipe it down for you, you know? And you tip them. Why? Because you've been there, right? Because you, you're like, oh, they're doing a great job. Hey, they're in the weeds. I saw, they, what? like you're, you're empathizing with them. Oh, your friends think you're crazy, but you're being kind, right? Because you, you value their work because you've been there. And so what we praise is a good indication of what we value in our life. On the flip side, we're often most critical of the things we're most deeply insecure about. The things that we are critical in other people often reveal areas of insecurity and, and, and even at times shame in our life. Like those are the things that we, 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 we fear for others, maybe even in our own kids. And so we're, we're critical of those tendencies of those behaviors because we're, we're, we're insecure about them. We're, we're afraid of where they're going to end up. I, <clears throat> I ran into a, a guy I hadn't seen since high school years ago. Uh, he was a pastor. I was a pastor. We're like, how crazy is this? And uh, when I was younger, like elementary school, I, I was picked on a little bit. I was a bigger kid. I was picked on a little bit. But then like through middle school and junior high and high school, um, like I I, I grew and I was a football player. I was captain of the football team and I hung out with like the cool kids and I dished out to those younger than me some of that bullying, some of that picking on and, and just not treating them with kindness. And I, I ran into this guy and I was like, hey man, because he was younger than me, you know, you always kind of give them the riot act when you're playing football, the ones that are coming up below you, you make them work hard for it. And I was like, hey man, I'm sorry, I was kind of a jerk in high school. He's like, yeah, you were. <laughs> okay, you'd have to agree that easily, you know, but... But it's just, it's so evident that like we, we, we're critical of some of our most deepest insecurities. We can be critical of others where if we're honest, we're not critical of ourselves. We see this played out in Luke's gospel in Luke 18. Uh, we see this being played out on both sides. Verse uh, nine through 14 says this. Then Jesus told this story of some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like th that tax collector. How just blatantly rude is that? How arrogant. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. 
I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, There was was some um, zealous Jews that at the time, they would often fast twice a week. They would fast on the fifth and the second day. The fifth represented the the day that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and received the, the law of the Ten Commandments from God. And the second day of the week was the day that Moses came back down. And so as an act of that remembrance, they would fast twice a week. The problem was, it just so happened that those two days were very busy days in the marketplace in Jerusalem that a lot of people from the countryside would come in. And they would often wear tattered clothes and look pale and all this kind of stuff. Meaning, they weren't being spiritual, they were trying to be noticed. They were trying to look spiritual. They were trying to have people say, wow, those must be godly people. Is he even praying to the Lord? Because he talks about himself a whole lot. Five times he says, I. I'm not like. Thank God that I am. I do, I do, I do. Is is he just giving like a monologue or is he actually praying? Whereas the tax collector, on the other hand, had this proper view of who he is and who God is. He said, oh God, I'm a sinner in need of grace. There's a, there's a double standard there. One thought he was all that. It was actually nothing. And the other one saw himself with humility and lowly. This brings us to our third truth, is that God builds on foundations of humility. God builds on a foundation of humility. God's word says that he, he lifts up the humble but resists the proud. Pride at the end of the day is almost the root of most sins. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride is I'm going to do my way and not trust God's way. And I can, get, I can get God's results my way. That's pride. We step out of God's truth. We step out of operating our lives in the priority that God says. That's pride. That we know better than the God of the universe who created us. God builds through those who walk with humility. Not being a doormat, but humility. Willing to humble ourselves. I love what Romans 2 says. It says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? It's very direct, isn't it? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Saying, hey, don't, don't have a double standard. Don't, don't judge people for one thing. The reality is we can't judge the world who doesn't know Jesus based on the ways of Jesus, right? Because they don't, they don't know. It, it's like you wouldn't trust your child to manage your home's finances. And then when they spend it all on candy, you're like, why would you do that? They don't know any better. We can't hold the world to God's standards because they don't know it yet. We have to love the world. What's interesting, it doesn't say 
Condemnation of people leads them to repentance. It doesn't say shame leads them to repentance. It doesn't say ostracizing leads them to the family of God. It says your kindness, God's kindness, leads us to repentance. We realize that God is kind and gracious and generous towards you and I. And we're to display that towards the world around us, holding to the standards. And lastly, is that God-honoring community does not happen on my terms. God-honoring community does not happen on my terms. We all have a perspective of how we want life to be, how, how we want things to operate, right? We want to keep some people at an arm's distance. We want to allow other people in. But God-honoring community doesn't just happen with, with you being the boss of it. It can't. You know, we're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about how we grow in community next week as we celebrate one year. But think about it. In the book of Acts, when the, when the church first started, they were unified. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized by the thousands. They didn't even look at their stuff as their own. They were unified. They were, they were humble. It wasn't, hey, I'm in charge. You need to listen to how I want things to be done. It was, no, what can I do to help? God is in charge. Jesus is the mission. What can I do to be a part of it? God our community doesn't happen on our terms solely. And sometimes because we can't be in control of it, we're like, maybe not for me. We're, we're afraid to take steps. We're, we're afraid to plug in. We're afraid to be surrounded by other people because it's, it's out of our control a little bit. It's, it's, it's organic. Like we can't edit it in real time, but it's real. We get to come to the table of grace because of the precious blood of Christ. That's how you and I got here. That's how you and I got to be a part of what God is doing in us. No one earned it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Your parents weren't smart enough to get you. They didn't have enough money to buy it for you. All of us, if we put our faith in Jesus, guess what? We were once dead, completely, utterly dead in our sin. But God through the grace and the life and the sacrifice of Jesus had allowed us to pull a seat up to the table of grace. And if we walk with humility, realizing that I don't deserve to be here. How did, how did I get to this table? Who, who pulled strings? What, what, what? I'm just so grateful to be here. Guess what? We want to do whatever we can so that other people can have a seat at the table. We want to walk with humility, not, not, causing, not having double standards for how we evaluate others and how we evaluate ourselves, but in relationships and community and friendships and in our, in our jobs and in our, in our homes and our families. We want to use God's standard. We want to apply it with grace, with love, with wisdom, and to ourselves first before we try to hold others up to it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the lives that you're changing. God, we thank you for the marriages that you're restoring. We thank you for the prodigals you're calling home. We thank you for the things that you're doing in hearts and in minds of way of thinking. 
God, help us to be people who are generous with our grace. Not just accepting anything and everything, but we realize that we have received so graciously from you that we would want to extend that to others. And before we think about holding someone else up to a standard, Lord, let us first live it. We know we're going to fall. We know we're going to make mistakes. But we have a standard we're striving for. And that standard is Jesus. So, Father, help us to be bearers of that peace, of that good news, so that other people may see the work of Christ in us. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. It's in your mighty, holy, and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.